0: This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady, Toronto's news, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Joanna Barron's executive director of the Canadian Constitution Foundation, the CCF, and she joins me right now in Toronto Today. Joanna, thanks for making the time for us.
1: Thanks so much. Excited to talk.
0: How'd you react to, to this yesterday? And not that it came out of nowhere. You'd have been keeping more of an eye on this than I would and probably many of our listeners. Were you hopeful the decision would go this way?
1: You know, we were really hopeful. We were the first civil liberties group to challenge the invocation. We were present for the hearings. And we saw sort of the wheels turning in the judge's head. We knew at very least that certain arguments that the federal government was making, he was not buying. And you see that in the decision when he talks about the federal government denied in court that the seizure and freezing of bank accounts constituted a search under Section 8, and the judge just said flat out, I, I'm having a really hard time accepting that freezing someone's bank account doesn't constitute some type of search and seizure. So, having said that, though, we were still obviously jubilant. There's mm-hmm. been mixed results. Um, obviously, the Rouleau Commission report, which maybe we'll talk about, came to a different conclusion. Um, so, we always we were, we were cautious, um, but we were absolutely thrilled. This is A huge vindication for the rights of all Canadians.
0: One of the things, and it's about halfway through the document, I'll admit, um, a scan of it, but I gave it some good time last night, like maybe maybe 45 to 60 minutes piling through it. One of the things I spotted was the word convenient, and the court found the Emergencies Act, Joanna, can't be invoked because it's convenient to the government. It has to be a total of last resort. And again, however you felt about the protests, um, I think we looked and thought Did they try everything before they did that? It didn't even seem like the levels of government were talking or were present. And that's a big reason why I think people's eyebrows were raised about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's another interesting point of contrast with Justice Rouleau. Justice Rouleau said, look, there was a policing breakdown. And so functionally, this was a tool of last resort. Justice Mosley doesn't buy that. He says, no, that's not how it works. Just because there was incompetence and a failure of leadership and the various levels of police weren't talking to each other, that doesn't mean that this was the last law available to deal with the situation in Canada. And that is the requirement of the Emergencies Act
0: were there actions that that you look at and you say again we're talking about the you know rights the right to protest independence, civil liberties these conversations are obviously being had a lot more as well uh, with what's happened on some of our major city streets in the last several weeks when you looked at it back then if I were to transfer you back 24 months ago would you have said there there should be anything law enforcement should do people do need to get to their jobs and they do need to get their kids to daycare etc Ottawa was very jammed up it, it was occupied to some extent was it not
1: Oh, absolutely. And I want to be very clear. Our position was never that um, people had the right to just indefinitely park big rigs down uh, at the on Wellington Street. Mm-hmm. I think police had every right past a, a certain point. I actually think police didn't do much enough at the outset. No, they allowed the trucks to come in and just settle in. Um, that was the policing failure. They absolutely, you do not have a right to blockade. So my position is consistent with some of the policing tactics that we're seeing now. For example, blockading the bridge at Avenue Road in the 401, uh, predominantly Jewish area. Police have the right to prevent blockades of bridges. They have the the right to prevent occupation of downtown Ottawa. The question is whether you need nationwide emergency powers to do that. I don't believe you do. I don't believe that. Mm. I, I believe that the tactics used to actually clear the protests in Ottawa when they were cleared were ordinary police powers.
0: Do we, last thing, do we get lawsuits now? There's a lot of people messaging me yesterday going, here come the lawsuits. People had their bank accounts frozen. They had their reputations impugned. They might've, you know, come back from a weekend of protesting, come back to the office the next day, and even found they were treated differently at their jobs. What happens next?
1: So I'll be honest. I've been speaking to many senior lawyers as well as studying the decision myself. Nobody has a clear answer for that. I will say Um, with a judicial declaration that the invocation of the act was unconstitutional, a violation of charter rights. It couldn't hurt. um, But civil liability and tort law is kind of a different game. So nobody really knows for sure yet. So we'll have to wait and see.
0: I hear that. Well, hopefully we can stay in touch with you on it. I Really, uh, really thanks for coming on this morning. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Catherine Swift is with the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses of Canada. You often hear her on uh, John Oakley's uh, radio show as well in entertaining fashion. Catherine, it's great to have you on the morning show. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. uh, What's the move here for the Ford government? What did they do to stand up for homeowners?
2: Well, basically, Enbridge had applied to the Ontario Energy Board, the regulator here, to have approval to expand its gas grid, you know, its infrastructure, to be able to accommodate connections to new houses. And, and of course, we know that all governments are focusing on increasing, quite radically increasing, our housing stock right now because we desperately need it with all of our newcomers into Canada. And uh, interestingly, the Ontario Energy Board rejected this. They said that uh, Enbridge had not sufficiently taken into account the so-called energy transition. They made a recommendation that heat pumps should be considered. And we know that heat pumps are... Not the best for the cold Canadian climate, and they have all kinds of downsides to them and it was It was rather unusual for the OEB to come out with this because it was very much a politically motivated decision instead of one based on like science and what we predict in terms of what the you know the housing stock is going to be going forward, and so on and interestingly enough the uh, um, the energy minister Todd Smith. Uh, within 24 hours, react, very quickly reacted to this and said, we're overturning it. Now, they have to introduce legislation to do so. And that, and this this happened like two days before Christmas. So it, it got buried. And But it was a big deal. And, and I'm actually surprised that, uh, you know, good on you for doing a story on this because an awful lot of media hasn't picked this up at all. And hmm. the, the background to these kinds of, um, uh, you know, proposals by big energy companies is that decisions tend to be made today that are relevant out for years, de- decades often to come. So they really do matter uh, because we could find ourselves 10 years, 15, 20 years down the road in a real pickle yeah. if, if new houses aren't supplied properly with uh, a, a source of heat and other uh, other utilities as well. I, 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 uh, well
0: I, I think it's worth pointing out also, and you mentioned us doing the story on it, I, I, I find what's colliding right now, Catherine, is, Ideology versus practicality. And it, and it is really important to talk about climate change. And it absolutely is something we have to keep an, an eye on and, and, you know, look in the mirror sometimes and say, am I doing enough? Could I do better? But I often find it gets lost in ideology as opposed to practicality. And when you mandate things have to happen a certain way. Um, I've always often said this about solar and wind. Lovely benefits you can gain from those, um, but they're the appetizer, not the main course. We're we're okay. always, I think, we're always in our lifetime anyway, going to heat our homes with natural gas or electricity and yeah. stop.
2: You're absolutely right. Uh, And we've seen, well, what happened in Alberta recently where they almost had brownouts and blackouts on a frigidly cold day where, frankly, people could have been in big trouble if they lost their source of heat. Uh, And uh, we don't have quite that radical weather in Ontario, but we still have some pretty cold snaps. And uh, the notion of having reliability, that's the key, reliability, because it's true that solar wind can be, uh, they can handle, say, some peaks, uh, in some circumstances, but as we know, wind doesn't always blow, sun doesn't always shine, and to rely upon them is foolishness. To have them as a part of our of our yeah. overall grid and our overall supply of energy, fine, just fine. But you need that so-called base load, which is your you know your bottom line, what you're what you can supply at all time. And the beauty of natural gas, first of all, it's one of the cleanest of fossil fuels. It is also able to be ramped up and ramped down uh, mm. very, very quickly, which other heat sources or other you know, source of energy just simply cannot do. So okay. it's still a very valuable, very valuable component of our overall system. And when you see the really practical forecasts that don't involve politics. We are going to be using fossil fuels for a very long time into the future. Technology will undoubtedly change, will undoubtedly improve. We're already cleaning up uh, some of our existing fossil fuels and so on. So you're absolutely right. Of course, we have to think about these alternatives, but to overly rely on them, you get into trouble, and we don't need that in Ontario or anywhere else.
0: I got 45 seconds. Is there something the Ford government could do more of? They are kind—I of, won't say—they're absent on this particular file. But they kind of they certainly let the federal government take a lot of heat, sometimes much deserved for mandating things uh, when it comes to the environment. But could the Ford government do more for financial incentives? There's talk about the EV rebate coming back. I think they're going to get pressed on that next election.
2: Well, EVs are in trouble all over the world right now. Uh, Car manufacturers are backing off making them, and the fact we have to subsidize them so heavily with our tax dollars to entice them to come to Canada, that that tells the tale in my way of thinking. I think the Ford government's being pretty smart, to be honest. They're putting nukes in, which are very, very clean, uh, but they require tons of lead time and Mm. so on. So I think they're actually being pretty pragmatic.
0: I hear that, Catherine. Thanks so much for coming on the show today and and, uh, alerting us to this story. I think uh, every homeowner in Ontario uh, should be aware of what you just laid out there. Thanks for the time. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. There's going to be a bit of a retool of what kindergarten is in Ontario. Joining us to discuss is the uh, province's education minister. He is Stephen Lecce. Minister Lecce, appreciate the time. What's new about what parents can expect for kindergarten? And it's fall of 25 when this starts. What can we look for?
3: Well, I think, Greg, the first thing is that we're going to be ensuring that kids continue to benefit from the play-based model, that inquiry model where they get to be kids and they get to enjoy spending time building those social development skills. But what we've learned, and the evidence has really changed on this, is that there needs to be more explicit instruction included in that play-based model that actually helps these kids uh, bolster their understanding and their confidence with respect to reading and math skills. These are foundational skills. So when we say back to the basics, we're making sure for our youngest learners, literally at the beginning of their education journey, that they're going to be having more um, explicit learning from their teacher uh, with respect to literacy promotion and math, because we know in the grade three uh, EQAO assessment and after years of pandemics and challenges, we have a lot to do when it comes to strengthening those skills and it starts really for us in kindergarten and the Ontario Human Rights Commission put out a landmark report that urged the government to do this and so we're doing it decisively because we want to give kids uh, you know a hand up we want to really empower them to succeed and what we know is if we start early there's a four times higher chance of success if we get it right at kindergarten And that's why we're overhauling the curriculum we're pairing it with $65 million of investment to hire specialized literacy teachers, and we're screening every kid, $13 million, to screen every single child in senior kindergarten, grade one and two. What that means is we're going to be doing a literacy assessment on a test just to assess where your child is at. How That's much- a benchmark we could actually use to inform, you know, decisions and it helps parents know where their kids are at.
0: You've heard from a lot of parents who've looked not just at testing and, and some of the data you mentioned, but they've said, get my kid back to basics. But there's no reason that doesn't have to just be at 13 or 14 or going from grade eight to grade nine. Parents are telling you they want that balanced in with the play in when they're five or six years old also, don't they?
3: And, and honestly, Griggle, I mean, so are teachers. I mean, yesterday I stood with a um, a, a very respected kindergarten educator, someone who's a leader within, either within the, um, the Dyslexia Association of Canada and her point was, look, if we can build phonic skills and build vocabulary skills and sound letter relationships for kids and in the math side, we can start to introduce in a very basic way concepts, uh, numeracy concepts, even things that, you know, young people are going to need, basic fractions, learning the basics of coding and directions and patterns. These things matter. And the former liberals, you know, they let curriculum get way, um, you know, out of disconnected from the labor market from the world. I mean, the math curriculum was 13 years old, didn't mention anything on financial literacy, coding, uh, AI, Mm. and the science curriculum was 12 years old. So we're doing this much differently. We are being proactive and ensuring that there's labor market alignment, but more than even just the economic skills, we're giving your kids life skills. Like financial literacy, it's it's giving them the ability yeah. to live within their means to have personal responsibility, to budget, to save, to understand these concepts that, frankly, a lot of students wish they learned. So we're starting young in a very age-appropriate way, but we are going back to the basics of learning. And we're doing it because we know not, not just the parents the demand of it, but the evidence suggests that's where the future is when it comes to producing a well-rounded, productive citizen of our
0: country. Stephen Lecce is our guest, uh, the Ontario Education Minister, joining us on Toronto Today. Uh, One last question for you and stretch out and give me as much context as you want from this. You saw over the Christmas holidays, Quebec, came in with a cell phone law that was really strict, really emphatic, and they they didn't wait. They went right into January when kids got back from school after Christmas. TDSB trustees want to develop a policy, and I'm hearing from board trustees all over the place. What can the province do? I know there's a cell phone uh, policy in place. Right. Do you need to tighten that up? Would you like to see school boards not just, not just suggest that there's guidance given to teachers for disciplining if there's abuse or overuse, but would you like to see them out of classrooms entirely?
3: Look, I think we need to have a very strong policy on cell phones and social media. Uh, this may be odd, Greg, I'm, I'm I'm the youngest minister of education. So it's a bit maybe counterintuitive for me to be the one championing this, but look, I'm the first one to acknowledge the technology could aid learning, but if it does if there's not a rules and checks and balances in place, it will be, Uh, it can undermine the learning quality and the focus of children. And I believe we need to remove the distractions from the classroom. That doesn't necessarily mean an absolute ban, because sometimes technology like cell phones may be needed in class. But there need to be strict protocols with accountability in place, that if there's violations of whatever this new policy is, that there's a clear understanding for the students that there will be a penalty. I think we need to be tougher on this, even if it will be culturally challenging for the students, well, i think we all accept this is the right thing to do create some limitations some rigor some focus in the classroom and i'm grateful i mean we, we brought forth a policy we said the school boards go further good on cdsb and i want every board to do this but frankly there needs to be provincial wide action here we have a problem when it comes to the focus of students and i think we can play a role as a province in stepping up to support our school boards and our educators on the front lines who often feel you know, without any real power to affect change in the classroom. Yeah. I want to aid them to allow them to do what they do best, which is keep these kids engaged in the curriculum reading, writing, math, STEM disciplines. Let's make sure kids are focused on learning, not on TikTok. And uh, I will welcome the support of any parent, any school board, any citizen yeah. of the country who stands with us to get this right because it's now or never. We've got to get these kids back on track. And if we don't, come up with a new policy on this, I really think another generation of kids will uh, not have yeah. uh, really embraced the curriculum they should.
0: Always the first step, recognize there's a problem and then uh, work through it together and figure out how to solve it. Thank you for the time today. Thank you. Steve Lecce, Minister of uh, Education, joining us on Toronto Today. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady.
2: Toronto's news, today's talk.
0: 640 Toronto.